Colossians, the book of Colossians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's interesting, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, having never been there. It's not one of the churches he founded. Epaphroditus founded the church at Colossae, and uh, it was, uh, it's 120 miles east of Ephesus. You say, where's Ephesus? Well, Ephesus is on the west coast, southwest coast of Turkey, and uh, beautiful mineral springs at Ephesus. Ephesus is where John, the beloved apostle, took Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, to live when he went to Western Turkey uh, to found and start to are found and pastored seven churches, and you know which the churches they are because he addresses a letter to each of them in the Book of Revelations. But uh, anyhow, 120 miles east of there is the city of Colossae. Now, just west of Colossae. Maybe 8, 10, 12 miles is the city of Laodicea. In John's letter to the Laodiceans, he says, Because you are neither cold nor hot, God will spew you out of his mouth. That was so incredibly appropriate because Colossae had these magnificent cold water springs. And the streams that ran through the countryside around Colossae were, (laughs) they'll take your breath away, okay? If you've ever spent much time at Living Springs Camp and been in the spring, that water is about um, 57 to 62 degrees and uh, all the time. And uh, when you hit it, it's cold enough you think you might be able to walk on it because it feels like ice. And you go under and you come up and you can't catch your breath. I mean, just... And uh, the reason I know it, know that, is because we used to play in it. My friend from Colorado, Dan Parton, was there one time, and we were having boat races across the springs, 50-foot-wide spring pool. So we were having boat races back and forth on pieces of styrofoam, and uh, he hadn't been in the spring yet. All summer he hadn't been in the spring. And so uh, I challenged him to a boat race, and uh, we headed out, and... He was concerned that if we left from the same side as we went along, I'd flip him off of his raft. And so I said, okay, you start over there. I'll start over here. And I made it to the other side, and he made it to this side. And then as he came back, he forgot we had to pass in the middle. And I launched myself off of my piece of styrofoam and landed on his piece of styrofoam and rolled it over. And we both came up. (laughs) But I knew what to expect. He didn't. It was so cool. Literally, cool. (laughs) And his expression was wonderful. And all the kids got to see their youth director in the spring. It just worked out really great. Well, Colossae has those kinds of springs and those kinds of streams. Now, just to the north of Laodicea, a little ways, are hot springs. And, And they piped water from both of these springs through aqueducts to the city of Laodicea, and when it got there, it didn't matter if it came from the hot spring or from the cold spring, it was room temperature. I mean, it was the same temperature as the ambient air, so it would get there about 75, 80 degrees, lukewarm, okay? Not cool, not hot. 
And if you drink much lukewarm water, you know, it makes you want to throw up. And so when the writer, uh, when John writes to the church of Laodicea and says, you think you're rich and instead you're dirt poor, you're spiritually poor, you got all this stuff and you say we have need of nothing, and yet you're poor and you're blind and you're naked and and, and you just you don't need God anymore, and uh, so uh, you're making him sick. He's going to spew you out of his mouth. And so Paul is writing to the Colossians, the people of the Cold Springs, and he he is writing while he is with Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, or Timothy, our brother. Now, the word apostle is an interesting word because I passed a church the other day and it said the, the church of the apostles. And I thought, wow, I'd like to know their history. The Roman Catholic Church says that the apostleship has been passed down from pope to 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 pope, to pope, to pope all the way down to the present pope. Okay? And, and we know that's not true. Because an apostle had two specific requirements. Okay? They had to be an, an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. And they had to be called by Jesus Christ and sent out by him. There were 12 disciples. You remember? Okay? In John chapter, uh, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 9, the last two or three verses, he sends them out and says, uh, Go ye into the highways and hedges. Uh, excuse me, that's not the passage. Uh, Pray ye the Lord of the harvest. Say not that there's uh, four months and then cometh harvest. No, the fields are white already to harvest. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. And chapter 10, he calls the apostles and he sends them out two by two. So those are the apostles. Then at his crucifixion, Judas commits suicide and there's only 11. And so they appoint a new apostle. Matthias, and don't know till we get to heaven exactly how much God had to do with that. Because what I do know is a few years later, the Apostle Paul is on his way to Damascus, excuse me, not the Apostle Paul, a young zealot named Saul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, uh, going to be a scribe one of these days. He's a Jewish lawyer, already finished the University of Jerusalem. And he is on his way to Damascus to capture Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. He instigated the stoning of Stephen, held the, held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death. You say, well, why didn't he stone him himself? Because he's the instigator. I mean, he didn't want to get his hands dirty. He just wanted it to happen. Sounds like politics to me, doesn't it? So here he is, and he's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Paul 
not recognizing him, but knowing who it is, said, what do you mean, Lord? Now, you don't call somebody Lord unless you recognize that they are one. And so he recognized the one. He's one. And Jesus identifies himself and says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Why are you kicking against the pricks? I'm trying to herd you in a certain direction, and you keep kicking instead of going that direction. And Paul trusted Jesus that day. Three days later, Ananias comes to him, baptizes him. There in the city of Damascus, and he goes into Arabia for three years. Gets his, he already had a degree in Old Testament. Now he gets a degree in the Gospels and in the doctrine of salvation, justification, glorification, sanctification, condemnation. He writes all that in the book of Romans. And then he goes out and starts churches. And he is called an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Because it sure wasn't Saul's will. Wasn't what he wanted. And Timothy, our brother, is with him. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You got those two things. I mean, you're almost home. Grace and peace. We all know we have grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we all know that we've been given grace, because we have, it is grace that caused Christ to die on the cross for us, grace that caused God to raise him from the dead, and it's by grace that we get saved when we express our faith in him. Now, in light of that, if we have grace and we trust him, then we have peace. Peace. Talking to a young man yesterday afternoon. He said, Brother Casey, do you think believers are in the land of rest now? Or are they going to have to wait till they get to heaven? Legitimate question. I said, well, let's look at the Old Testament typology because we'd been talking about Moses already. I said, Moses took them out of the land of Egypt. That's a picture of salvation. They were in the world and they were enslaved by the world just like we were before we got saved. He led them miraculously out of Egypt into the wilderness where they were to learn to trust God. They got out in the wilderness and didn't have anything to drink and so... God told Moses, smite the rock, and he smote the water, and the water gushed out. People said, we, we don't have any meat. God said, okay, I'll give you meat. Caused the, way, the quail to fly in about three and a half, four feet off the ground in flocks so thick. They were just knocking them down out of the air with sticks. And they ate quail till they were sick of quail. Okay. Kind of like uh, my, my parents and my grandparents talked about during the Depression. They ate beans and cornbread. Now, sometimes they did, they, Grandma would switch it up and they had cornbread and beans. <laughs> but it, it nearly always was one of those two. And since they had a milk cow, they had cornbread and milk. 
crumble up the cornbread and a glass of milk? You say, ooh, that sounds gross. That's what I always thought, but my dad loved it. Okay, a little salt and pepper in there. Scoop it out. Well, they ate quail until they were sick of quail. Oh, they were sick of quail. And they never did learn to trust God. Ten times they tried him in that first year in the wilderness. Finally, he takes them to Kadesh Barnea, and he says, okay, go into the land and occupy it. It's yours. I've given it to you. And they sent in 12 spies, and two of them came back and said, yeah, yeah, this is the place we want to live. Flows with milk and honey. Look at this cluster of grapes that these two guys are carrying. Took two of them to carry it back. That's a monstrous cluster of grapes. And there's fields ready to harvest. And there's houses already living in. And God has given us the land. He's, he's going to chase these people out. He said he would send hornets in. And the hornets will drive them out. Well, if you've never been attacked by hornets, then you may not understand how effective that is. Okay? Or a nest of yellow jackets in the ground. You're digging, 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 all of a sudden. And then the pain starts. Wow. God said, I'm going to take care of all that. And ten of them said, there's giants in there. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way. What do you mean there's no way? God always makes a way when God tells us to do something. Okay? Where God guides, he provides. Haven't you ever the song? Haven't you ever sung the song, Where he leads me, I will follow? What he feeds me, I will swallow? <laughs> they didn't trust God. So they got to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That is the life of most believers. They wander around in the wilderness. God's taking care of them. He's causing their shoes to grow with their feet, causing their clothes not to wear out and to grow with their bodies. You say, God doesn't do that. No, but he always provides stuff for us to wear, and shoes for us to wear, and food for us to eat. And we still worry. We still fret. Oh, oh. How are we going to pay for this? And how are we going to do this? And, and, and then when we get a little extra money, instead of thinking ahead and thinking, you know, God may have given this to me for me to bless somebody, or God may have given this to me because there's going to be a need for it in the near future, we go out and do something stupid, like buy a new toy, a new big expensive toy. It's been said that the only difference between boys and men is the size of their toys. Actually, it's men and boys. The only difference between men and boys is the size and the expense of their toys. And, and I look around and I think, man, that's, wow, that's right. But the day finally came when they learned to trust God and they followed Joshua across the Jordan River at flood stage, mile and a half wide, deep, deep, deep water. And God blocks it off upstream, and all the water runs downstream. And they cross on dry land. And they get into the 
promised land. And God says, I don't want you fighting this battle. The battle is mine. I just want you to march around the city one time a day for six days. And the seventh day, I want you to march around seven days, seven times. And on the seventh time, I want the priest to blow the trumpets, the shofar, and I want the people to shout. And when you do that, the walls will come tumbling down. And instead of being like their ancestors who said, no way, they just got in line, went around. Next day, went around. Next day, went around. Six days, they went around and then went back to camp. The first day, the folks in Jericho are standing on the top of the wall looking out thinking, oh, no, we're fixing to get attacked. And then they all left and went to their camp. The people in Jericho Whoa, they must have been casing the joint. (laughs) Next day they come back and they do it again. By the sixth day, the people in Jericho, they don't have any idea what to think. So nobody gets up on the wall except the guards that are already posted. And and, uh, people are hollering up at, hey, what's going on? Oh, they're just walking around. Don't worry about it. Okay. Seventh day, they get up and they go around one time and then they go around another time. And now the guards say, hey, something's up. They went around twice. And people start getting back up on the wall. Whoa. Twice? Yeah, this is three times. They're not making any noise. I know. For six days they hadn't made any noise. They hadn't said anything. They just march around and go home. They get around that seventh time and all those priests pick up those ram's horns and they start to blow. And it's an eerie, creepy sound. And when they start to blow, all the people shout. And the walls begin to crumble out from under the feet of the people. And the walls fall down on each side. And the, the soldiers, the Israeli soldiers, they just walk up and over. What people didn't get crushed when the wall fell, get killed. And now they're thinking, maybe there is a way. Maybe God is going to keep his promise. Maybe God is going to do what he said. And that's what Paul wants for the people at Colossae. He wants them to understand that they have grace, and he wants them to have peace. And that's kind of what I want for you all. I want you to have peace. I want you to know that whatever's going on in your life right now or whatever you just came out of or whatever you're fixing to go into, God already knows and he has it worked out. And we can trust him. Now, we ought to be smart enough to be obedient. But we can have peace. We can dwell in the land of rest. So this guy said, okay, brother, well, then, then what do you think the land of rest is? I said, it's the spirit-filled life. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, be ye filled with the spirit. That means totally yielded to the Holy Spirit at all times. Just requesting him to be in charge. Requesting him to be with you. For Him to guide you and Him to show you what He wants you to do. Oh, I wish I had learned that when I was a child. I heard it preached over and over again. But I never was smart enough to say, God, I yield myself to the Holy Spirit. 
I want him to be in control of my life. I'm going to read your word, and I want him to speak to me and show me what it means. I wouldn't have wasted 29 years. That simple. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Is that sweet? Do you pray for people you've never met? But you've heard about them? You've heard of their faith and the love that they have for the saints? Sure. Or at least we ought to. I pray for missionaries that I've never met. But I've heard about the work they're doing. I've heard about their, their, their desire to please God on the foreign field. They're just being obedient to Him. He sent me here. He sent them there. We ought to be praying always for them. And this, this is what He prays for them. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? We call that the blessed hope. That's what Peter called it. The blessed hope. Okay, what's the blessed hope? The blessed hope is Jesus is coming back and we're going home. Jesus is coming back and we're going home. We're going to the wedding. We're going to the trophy table where they're passing out the awards. And then we're coming back to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Do you know where you're going to rule? Me neither. But I know I'm going to do it. We're going to rule as kings and priests of God. Okay? Wow. Kings, that means we're going to have authority. And priests are going to have instant access to the throne. I have instant access now. Unless I've allowed something in my life to break the fellowship. Because Psalm 66.18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and have instant access to the throne again. Woo! That's cool. This word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. We're going to pause there tonight. Epaphras is their pastor and probably the founder of their church. He's a faithful minister. And he came to them bringing them the truth. But notice, if you will, in verse 6, 
the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. Does the gospel bring forth fruit in you? I mean, what's the fruit of the gospel? We know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, or temperance. Against such there is no law. So those are the gifts. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. But what's the fruit of the gospel? What did the gospel produce in you? Somebody tell me. Excuse me? Everlasting life. Salvation. That's the fruit of the gospel. I mean, that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the gospel whereby you're saved. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried, rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And what gospel did that, what did that gospel, what, one more time, what fruit did that gospel bring forth in us? Salvation. Is your is the gospel bringing forth salvation, not just in you, but from you? When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? You do know there's enough gospel to go around for everybody to get saved? It's not like the Jehovah's Witness who have 144,000, everybody else on their own. No, there's enough gospel for the whole world to get saved. So we don't have to hoard it. We can just give it away. And we ought to be doing that. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we love you and thank you so much for your precious word. Make it real to us. Dear Lord, I ask that you would put somebody in our paths, each one of us, in the next couple or three days, that needs to hear the gospel, point them out to us, and help us to recognize that the gospel is supposed to produce fruit. All we have to do is sow the seed. Or maybe the seed's already been sown. All we have to do is cultivate the ground. But it might be that some of us get to reap a harvest. Ooh, that'd be cool. But we ask this in Jesus' name. Now dismiss us with your love. Bring us back safely on Sunday. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.